Good morning and welcome to JP2 Morning Crew. It is Friday, February 16th, the Friday after Ash Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We have entered the season of Lent officially. I'm Brandon Clark coming to you from the Morning Crew studio and co-hosting with me today is Steve Splonskowski. Good morning, Steve. It's great to be together this morning. Good morning. How are you doing today, Brandon? I have no complaints. I'm excited for the season of Lent. That may sound a little weird, but I just always love an opportunity to, you know, kind of uh, return to the desert and and to be able to uh, enter into this penitential season. How about yourself? What, what are you looking forward to about Lent now that we are here? Well, I'll be honest with you. I don't always look forward to Lent. You know, it's kind of that you have to stop and slow down. And it's like, hey, Anybody want to go to the desert? And I'm not really the first one to raise my hand for that. Um, but I do might know. Might get a little that, thirsty, huh? I might get a little thirsty, so I got to get a big jug of water. But uh, no, I, I know it's a, a great season in the church. And of course, uh, just you know, a few months ago, celebrating Christmas, such a joyous season. And now we enter into, you know, quiet it down a little bit, enter into the Lenten season. Of course, the word Lent even means spring, right? And so we're entering into this season. It's a springtime, springtime in the church. Uh, when we enter, of course, it closes with the resurrection of our Lord at Easter. And so that's what we look forward to, right? So I don't know, I guess I would say I'm not looking forward to, to Lent, but I am looking forward to Easter. Um, and I know that during this uh, season that there will be great growth provided I'm willing to uh, enter in and uh, journey with the Lord. Yeah, it is a time of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. So I think there's a calling to incorporate each of those in some way into our Lenten journey, isn't there? I think there is. I mean, it's, uh, again, all the seasons in the church are part of a, a kind of a life cycle. You know, we celebrate the birth of Christ and we celebrate his his death, his resurrection. Um, and then, we, you know, that whole cycle going across. Ordinary time is not just ordinary. It's it's journeying with the Lord. That's why it's green. You know, it's kind of moving forward, growing with him, um, that, that color. And uh, so that it's just a wonderful time. Of course, I do love the fact that, you know, Lent is 40 days. And Easter season is 50 days, right? So we are we are an Easter people and Alleluia is your song. But we're not supposed to say that in liturgical time right now. So we have to set that aside, set the bells aside. And then at Easter, we get to proclaim that once again. So to all our listeners, here's the invitation. Enter into the season of Lent so that we can be that Easter people. We can live out that joyous celebration of Easter when it eventually comes. Well, today's guest will, I'll just say this actually, Steve, I'm already working up, uh, working on lining up a second interview with him because we're not even going to begin to scratch the surface of the amazing work this man is doing for the pro-life movement, especially. We are honored to visit with John Hinterlong. He's the current vice president of the board of directors of the Right to Life League. He is producer of the movie Unplanned that came out in 2019 about the former Planned Parenthood clinic director, Abby Johnson. And he is also helping organize the men's pro-life march coming up in just a few short weeks. So many wonderful things. And John, it is so great to have you. Well, thank you, Brandon. And hello, Steve. It's great to be with you guys here this morning and uh, looking forward to our discussion as we as we celebrate this uh, uh, or contemplate, I guess you could say uh, more uh, uh, efficiently is it uh, this, this season of Lent. 
Absolutely. And then, John, we gave you a little bit of notice about leading us in prayer, but uh, so we might mess, might be a little bit spontaneous, but would you kind of start out our conversation here with just uh, entering into this conversation with the Lord through prayer? Absolutely. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, as we enter into this penitential season, let us remember that our sacrifices can be, our intentions be to the protection and care of all of the innocent and most defenseless, the unborn child in the womb. And let us remember that through our sacrifices, our prayers will be heard, our fasting intentions will uh, assist us in providing for care for uh, all those that we feel are necessary to have a better place in this world. And remember, O gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into the O Virgin of Virgins, our mother. To thee do we come, before thee we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in thy mercy, Hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, John, for that beautiful prayer. And and folks, again, if they're entering into this, this season of Lent um, and really celebrating life uh, because this is the gift, the, the first gift that God gave us was the gift of life. And he uh, surrounds us with so many wonderful gifts. And we have the gift this morning of talking with John Hinterlong. Now, John, we're going to enter into talk a little bit about your background. You've worked in the motion picture industry on countless feature films and TV shows. And typically that's not uh, a friendly, you know, a friendly industry to pro-lifers. So how did you get to where you are now? Okay. Well, um, you know, I got to say that uh, although the kind of uh, overall appearance of this uh, uh, secular film industry can sometimes seem like it's, um, doesn't really align with a lot of the values that we as Catholics, um, you know, uh, hold dear. Um, that the fact of the matter is, is that the the people working behind the scenes are really kind of a, um, you know, symbolic of the general population in regards to, you know, uh, people who um, have good Christian values. Um, and so, you know, uh, water kind of seeks its own level. And so even in the work environment and in, in my industry, we work, you know, long days, you know, uh, day after day. And so it builds kind of a uh, close relationship with a lot of people as you're working through your days. And, you know, uh, um, so I find that there are plenty of like-minded people. Um, and so, you know, all in all, working in that industry, um, although we like to see the content do a, a little bit better, you know, the, there's, a, there's a lot of good people working in, in the industry. So That's great to hear, John. That's great to hear. It's uh, like you said, sometimes we only get to see the product. We don't get to see the work or the hearts that are behind that. Um, so as, as you've worked in this, this industry and have you moved towards, have you always been uh, pro-life? Have you always been focused on life or has there been a journey for you towards that? No, there was, there's absolutely been a journey. Um, I think I um, explained to you guys that I've, 
I've been really involved in pro-life for probably about 15 years, and I've been in this industry for almost 30. So that kind of tells you that uh, there was a there was a change. There was <laughs> there were some things that took place that uh, inspired me to uh, become really active, um, you know, in in the in the field of pro-life. So um, you know that journey has been one that I've entered into since um, really I was. I was in my mid twenties, I guess was when it really started, uh, you know, uh, intentionally. And so, uh, from that time, you know, it's been a, it's been a long winding road. It's, but it's always been, um, you know, forward down, uh, um, a path and, and it's been, uh, supported by great mentorship and, um, ultimately, um, led me back to my Catholic faith, which I had strayed from, uh, you know, as a, as a, really as a, a child. So. John, you mentioned some of the things that had changed. If you wouldn't mind, you know, what were some of those things that changed in your heart that led you further down the road towards pro-life and then even your Catholic faith? Well, you know, like I said, it was kind of, I've been on this kind of spiritual journey, uh, intentional spiritual journey since I guess in my, you know, my mid twenties. And, um, you know, as I walked down that path, things, certain things became more and more clear. And, you know, uh, I had to explore a lot of different areas, you know, uh, in regard to uh, what it meant to understand who God was, you know, although I was uh, baptized as a baby Catholic, I, I went, uh, I had my first communion, I went to Catholic school, um, you know, as, as really an adolescent, I kind of um, wandered into the desert, I guess you could say appropriately for this time of year, but uh, 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 the, uh, uh, thing that happened in my life in the mid twenties was I, you know, I realized that the way I was living my life um, wasn't uh, wasn't serving me well. So there had to be some big changes. And as I made those changes, I just gradually kept moving forward, and uh, um, ultimately uh, ended up coming back to the faith of my childhood. And by doing so, um, there were some things that I needed to look at in my past uh, when it came to how I was going to start living my life in the future. And uh, um, you know, there's a, there's a very long detailed story, how that all took place, but that might not be the best, this might not be the best time to get too far down that rabbit hole. Uh, but one thing that became readily apparent for me is that, um, I had a calling, um, to do something, uh, about the scourge of abortion in our nation. And so, uh, um, the, 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 um, you know, um, realizing that, then uh, suddenly different opportunities presented themselves to me. And uh, it almost became like the, I felt like I was being guided and I was. So, Yeah. And you have a lot of work that you've done in the pro-life world. I'm curious to know, since you've been doing it for a little over 15 years, how have you seen the landscape of the pro-life movement change, especially when we consider the Dobbs decision, which turned the abortion rights back to the states? I mean, I'm guessing there have been some developments and, and there's been some new challenges to try to tackle. Oh, yeah, it's huge, obviously. You know, um, you know where to begin, really. I, it, it, you know, with, with the overturning of Roe, and the Dobbs decision, you know, it, it really, um, it changed the landscape in many ways. Like you said, some of them not so good, some of them very, very good. You know, um, the big, the biggest, uh, uh, I think, um, the biggest, 
opportunity that presents obviously is that we now no longer have to look at this issue through the lens of Roe v. Wade, right? You know, uh, Roe v. Wade was a horrible law. Any constitutional lawyer will tell you uh, that it was, uh, should have never became a law in the first place. And the fact that it took us 50 years, uh, you know, to, to uh, um, finally overturn it um, is in some ways a hallelujah moment. And in other ways, it's like, a you know, how, how do we, how do, how do we let that happen for so many years? And, you know, I'm the vice president of the Right to Life League. The Right to Life League has been, is the oldest pro-life organization in the nation. It, it actually uh, began before Roe v. Wade in 1967. So in California, um, you know, uh, Cardinal McIntyre saw this coming and he came to some people and asked them to do something in regard to an answer to what he saw as the writing on the wall. And so... Uh, when we look at Roe now being overturned, though, that you know the big thing is that it it obviously back to the states. Certain states made great decisions; others made horrible decisions. So it's really the beginning of a new battle. Um, but the opportunity and the ability now has been given to us to have that battle. So you know, with Roe. It really wasn't, uh, we weren't allowed to uh, broach the topic because of as a privacy issue, it, it almost uh, was indicative that it, it didn't exist, quote unquote, right? So you, could, you couldn't, you couldn't, you know, with, with, with Roe and uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey with a privacy issue, it was, uh, you know, deemed that first of all, anybody could self-determine when life begins. And so nobody could force anybody else to believe that. And then as far as abortion goes, it's a privacy issue between a doctor that you can't uh, really um, make them admit that they participated in officially, right? So, uh, you know, now well, we see that uh, because of the overturning of this and going back to the states, the states that, um, you know, uh, um, opened up abortion to even put it in their state constitution that uh, it's okay to abort up until birth, you know? So um, we've got a, another huge battle to fight, um, but we're allowed to fight it. And you can see that it's become, uh, you know, in, in, in many instances, really the central issue of, um, you know, in the nation. And that's exactly where it should be because, um, if abortion's not wrong, nothing's wrong. And, um, you know, uh, which is something that Mother Teresa famously said. And uh, so if we can't fix that, you know, how do we expect to be able to really, uh, you know, fix anything? Uh, you know, so um, the challenges now become um, how do we make people understand that the magic of life happens at conception? And if you try to put uh, the right to life anywhere else on, a, on the spectrum of when, when uh, you know, a gestational age of the life of the, of the unborn child, it's completely arbitrary and illogical because it really, you know, uh, uh, any other place, the magic of life has already happened, Right. Yeah, if you're just joining us, this is the JP2 Morning Crew. We are visiting with John Hinterlong, and he is uh, has been on the board of directors for the Right to Life League. 
And most of that time as, as a past president and he's the current VP, we're talking to him here now on the JP2 Morning Crew talking about this, this work of pro-life, this work of protecting life. And of course, John, I love how you shared that there was a, a change in your life, a turn in your life. Um, and that's, of course, right now we're entering into Lent was an opportunity for us all to stop and take that turn and look at, okay, how has my life been in the past and how is it going to be going forward? And as we, you know, as we're talking about the moving forward in this pro-life work, there's a, there have been a lot of attacks on the pregnancy resource centers and the, and the work of, of pro-life groups, a, a right to life league that we're trying to do here. There, there's attacks on us um, from the other side where they're, you know, they're pro-abortion, we're pro-life. And, uh, and these attacks really um, are not always, uh, very often not based on, on true facts, uh, but based upon really just a lot of rhetoric. How has that affected your work there at the Right to Life League? You know, well, the, you know, the battle is, <laughs> is, is always, you know, it's a very, very, very simple truth. But, uh, you know, it, it, has, it has been um, uh, obscured by, you know, so many different uh, um, approaches to try to um, push forward an agenda uh, uh, of the culture of death. And so, you know, the battle is always then to say, to make this truth clear, you know, and uh, um, when people uh, kind of frame this uh, topic in the terms of women's health, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, really confuses a lot of people, you know, they, 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 they think, oh, well, you know, women, we, we're all for women's health. They, you know, we want to help women. We, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, they, they look at this as, uh, a lot of times that, uh, since, you know, there's, you know, the unborn child doesn't have a voice, um, they, they give it their own voice and they say that this really isn't a human being yet, or, uh, you know, it's a clump of cells or, and, you know, you, you've heard all of the things that, that they, the lies that they tell, but, uh, you know, uh, where we're at now is with, 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 like we just talked about the, you know, Dobbs decision is that we really can push now for the constitutional personhood for the unborn child from the moment of con uh, uh, conception. So, that's where our our uh, big fight is now, and um, that's I think the approach that we need to take. Um, you know, they they are even going so far now as to say that you know uh, there's there's people who say that it would be uh, you know right up to birth, fine to uh, you know, and that, that that's not a human person until it's born, which of course is absurd when you think about it because there's no you know magic uh uh a that crosses where, where where in the birth canal some kind of you know uh uh in that little space and time should determine whether a person gets to live or not you know um and the fact of the matter like I, like i stated before is that there is no point in the gestational period that 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 uh um, magic exists after the moment of conception, you know, any of these term limits that you've seen in, in, in some of the States now that have been able to, um, you know, make these, these gestational limits, um, uh, you know, every one of them in and of itself, I think does some good 
in regard to it's going to save some lives. But the fact of the matter is, is all of those times in the, you know, through the gestational period are completely arbitrary, you know, and if you were to take 10 weeks, for example, well, first of all, you can't even really determine exactly when 10 weeks is. You have a pretty good idea that it's approximately 10 weeks, you know, within days or something. But, uh, you know, that implies then that, you know, uh, we're not going to worry about whether or not it's a day or two before 10 weeks or whatever, you know, so how is 10 weeks really a, a, a point, you know, and when it comes right down to it, really, a split second before or after then is what you're saying is going to determine whether or not it's okay to kill somebody, which is, you know, insane. Yeah. So. Yeah. And there, there's so many, so many details and so many conversations we can have around this, this life conversation. I, and I do think that, you know, as soon as we enter in the conversation, we see all this broken logic or a non-logic that doesn't follow. We have to recognize, I think that right away, these folks are speaking out of their own woundedness, right? I think really come back, we see in the world today, we really kind of, the world is, and Satan, of course, is telling us to hate ourselves. Um, you know, and there's that kind of a sense that the world would be better without human, without human existence, which is not true because the God created this world for us. And so I really do think much of this, this broken, this brokenness and this uh, broken line of reason comes from our own, our own woundedness. And I think that's where, you know, in the, in the movie Unplanned, you really are able to share this story of, uh, of where one was, you know, she didn't, uh, Abby didn't, wasn't really aware of what was happening. And then when she became aware of what was happening, she recognized that something was broken here, that something was not right. And she journeyed through that um, and moved forward in, into this, this, again, a love for life and sharing that with everyone else. And so, I mean, John, it's just so wonderful that you're sharing this, this work and continuing uh, to move this forward. And speaking about moving forward, you're working on a march, uh, really, to move forward and, and march and get into action to really uh, talk about this work and this importance of life. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, just to just for a moment to what you were saying, if you know, you, when you think about the fact that somehow Satan has convinced not just women, but men, that it is in their best interest to terminate the life of their own children, you know. I don't know what else uh, could be more horrific, really, when you put it in the context. The, and then, but what it really has happened is he's convinced people that uh, they're not really human beings. And so I think a lot of people just really don't. And since there's no voice for the for the unborn, then, you know, the, uh, um, they can be convinced that that's it doesn't exist. You know, so the, and that, of course, is the devil's biggest trick to convince you that he's not really around, you know, that he doesn't exist. And so th th then all kinds of temptation that he imposes upon you can't be pinned on an evil. It's just ubiquitous. And that's kind of what it's become. So the men's march, uh, the pro-life men's march, uh, began several years ago. Um, and I attended, uh, uh, this first men's march in Washington, DC, um, father Stephen Imbrato and Jim Havens, have organized this men's march for the reconciliation and, and atonement of men's failure to live up to their obligation of being the leader, protector, and provider that they've been, you know, that God has written on their heart to be. And so, you know, we often look at the abortion issue as a woman's issue because we've been told men don't have a voice or, or a say in this issue because it concerns women and they don't know. Uh, what it's like, or they shouldn't have a voice in it because 
um, it's all on them. But the fact of the matter is, it's every bit of a man's issue because we are called to be that leader, protector, and provider. And we're the ones who are supposed to be defending the most innocent and defenseless. And we have failed in that obligation uh, just by the mere fact that it exists. Rather, you know, either if it's, you know, uh, directly or indirectly, we're culpable. So, um, you know, the men's march was organized to say men stand up, be a man. We've, we've let this go on too long. It's time for us to, to recognize that and then, um, come together and do something about it. Now, the, um, fact also is that men have been just as damaged by the trauma of, of abortion as women have. But it's affected, I think, men in its own particular way, uh, just by the essence of their difference, the difference between a man and a woman. I think men deal with this trauma in a different way. And, you know, what it has done is it's prevented them from living up to what their true Catholic masculine identity is because they have this deep knowledge about themselves that they are cowardly because they did what they did in the dark of night without, they think that they've gotten away with something, but it doesn't leave. You know, men, men know when they don't stand up and do the thing that they are called to do, whether they admit it or not, whether they consciously really know it or not, there's something I think that has affected so many men. Um, and, uh, at that first pro-life men's March, I heard a man speak and he said that he went for many years without even understanding, um, the effects that 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 uh, had taken place when he had aborted his son many years before. And so <clears throat> I think that resonated with a lot of men. There was there were probably 300 men standing in the middle of the street dressed in a suit and tie because we asked men to show up respectfully and and in, dig, in dignified manner. We asked them to wear a suit and tie to the march. And um, you could tell that there were, uh, um, you know, uh, there was a lot of trauma there, you know, and when this, this man said that ultimately um, he came across the movie and he said, maybe you've heard about it. It was called unplanned. And he said that, you know, uh, in that movie, uh, the woman who had boarded her children realized that she needed forgiveness from those children. And so, she ended up writing a letter asking for forgiveness to her, the two aborted children uh, that, of hers. And, um, and he said, when he saw that, he knew what he had to do. And so he wrote a letter to his son uh, asking for that forgiveness. And then he read the letter to us all standing there. And, um, you know, so like I said, there's 300 men in a suit tie standing in the middle of the street, half of them tears running down their face and uh, myself being one. And he didn't know who I was or, you know, that I had anything to do with that movie or anything else. And so, um, right. you know, but John, uh, I, I got I got to cut in here. We only have about a minute left. Uh, can you give us the details on when that march is, where it's being held and how guys can be a part of it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um like I said, we've had them up and down the East Coast at several different uh, major cities. And so we're now having our first uh, West Coast, Southern California, Pro-Life Men's March, uh, March 2nd, 
in Temecula, California. And um, the, um, what we, what we are, are, are kind of template for what we do is we, we meet in front of the abortion mill. Um, we will have a small series, you know, prayers, uh, a, a bit of a talk about what we're doing there and what we hope to accomplish. The men will march to uh, the Temecula Civic Center and uh, then rally at a nearby park and where we'll have uh, some fantastic pro-life speakers. Um, our wonderful bishop, Bishop Strickland, uh, is going to march with us. And then uh, obviously we'll have uh, some encouraging words as far as where we want to go and how we want to do it. I'd like to... Uh, John, when is the march again and, and where can we find more information? Uh, so you can go to themensmarch.com, themensmarch.com, March 2nd in Temecula, California. We'll, we'll have the march and then uh, we will uh, have a lot of great speakers. And uh, Temecula, California, if you don't know where it is, it's halfway between uh, Riverside and San Diego. Absolutely. John, it has been great to have you on. We are definitely going to have you on again to talk more about Unplanned because there's a whole story behind that. Steve, also been a pleasure visiting with you as well this morning. Absolutely. Thank you, Brandon. And coming up next Friday on JP2 Morning Crew, we're going to talk with John Proust about mental health ministry in the Diocese of San Diego and the unique challenges to overcome in our area. Fun fact, mental health ministry in the Diocese of San Diego was one of the first, if not the first, in the country to have a specific ministry for it. So we'll dive into that. That's next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific. That's all for us today. Up next, it's Life is Worth Living with Archbishop Fulton Sheen. We'll talk again next week. God bless.